Welcome to the Ready to Thrive podcast. My name is Jacqueline, and I don't know if you've ever felt like you are just surviving your life. I know I have, and that's why I created this space. I want to help you move from surviving to thriving. My goal is to help you get unstuck and actually enjoy your life. Each week, I'll be sharing practical tips and always point you to Jesus. So what are you waiting for? Let's get ready to thrive. Hello and welcome to Ready to Thrive. I am excited about the second conversation in our series on having the hard conversations. And if you did not listen to the first episode, you probably should go back and listen to that. It does do a little bit of an intro as to who my special guest is here um, and that I, I find a little bit helpful. I really enjoyed the conversation we just had on having hard conversations and why to have them. And so we're going to dive into another one right here. I am here with my husband, Brendan. We are sitting in our closet. We put a show on for the kids because they kept interrupting us. And so um, we're excited to have another hard conversation about things we are learning about in our lives and growing in. And today uh, we are going to talk about work-life balance and um, technology and see kind of how far we get. So Brendan, um, share with me a little bit about kind of your early years when it came to work-life balance. Well, thanks for having me back on the podcast, Jacqueline. I appreciate it. And for me, as I mentioned uh, in the last one, I work for a ministry, a nonprofit called Young Life. And for my experience of working for this job and this ministry, I have been very blessed to do something I've been passionate about since day one. And don't find it difficult to be motivated, inspired, and want to give everything to what I'm doing. And not everyone is blessed with that gift set of being in a job they love. But there is the other side of it, which is when you love your job and you're so invested in it. And for me, I can, you know, say like, you know, lives are hanging in the balance. Like there's, you know, it's make or break for these young people that I'm mentoring or this group that we're creating or these leaders I'm walking with or the funds we need to raise so the challenge with that is it can put this pressure uh, of performance. It can also create this sense of I got to give my all to this so that it'll it'll go. And my experience with it as well is I got involved as a, a student uh, when I was in high school. I uh, That's how I came to a faith in Christ. I started volunteering in my university years. I started working part-time, very minimally uh, in terms of paycheck, but given lots of hours. And then I finished university and I was able to start a uh, full-time role. And it was at that stage that I was, I decided to move to a brand new community that I didn't have a history with, that Young Life didn't have a history with. And so there's really a lot of comp comparisons to becoming a small business owner, entrepreneur, who was trying to build something from scratch. And so I think that is where, uh, between my own drive, passion, and the state of the work really conspired together to make me put in crazy hours that were not balanced in terms of work-life balance. Yeah. I appreciate the small business picture. I think that's a good way of helping people understand sort of what you were doing for years, which was really working around the clock. And, you know, some of it, again, like you said, your own passion, your own choosing. And even before we had smartphones um, grabbing our attention all the time, I think um, for you, it was um, just a process of, I think, probably 
internally feeling like there's always more to be done and staying up very late, getting things done. Um, You have a high value of excellence. And so trying to do a really good job with the things you're doing. Um, But that wasn't healthy for us um, in our first few years of marriage. Um, Looking back, we can see ways that we definitely should have had more boundaries when it came um, to your work and just learning how to navigate so many things in early marriage. And after being married for five years, uh, we had our first daughter and we moved into our first home together that we were had a mortgage for. And all these things uh, began to change and really it did cause a lot of pressure. And so um, over the years, you began to do things a little bit differently. And I know that for some of it, you read a few books that helped figure out kind of a healthy work-life balance, um, as well as having your own personal encounters um, with God and feeling like he was really um, convicting you to change in some ways. And so I would just love for you to share some of that process because um, it wasn't an overnight thing, but um, it really has been quite an incredible process to see you right now work at such a high capacity um, yet not under, I would say, that bondage of needing to work 24-7. So can you share a little bit of that process with me? Yeah, I think what helps is to maybe paint a picture of what it looked like in early marriage. And the one of the beauties of Young Life is there's a, a great opportunity to run this small business out of your home, which creates this really like integrated, holistic lifestyle ministry and then... Jacqueline had also been involved as a high school student, a volunteer, uh, part-time staff through university. And so basically I felt like, oh, I've married the perfect business partner for this ministry. So we'll just do this together around the clock. Our home will just be, you know, Grand Central Station of this ministry launch. And so we had every kind of meeting under the sun in our house. We had teenagers there constantly. We had uh, young adults who were volunteering. We had the adults that were helping finance or support. And so really there was very few moments where we could just do something for us. And so if you think of like the scraps or the leftovers or the dregs, any of those great words, that's what I gave to Jacqueline. That's what I gave to my health. That's what I gave to work-life balance was you can have what's left over. And so one of the pictures I have in our first home is we created this reality that we loved and we spoke so fondly of, but I think it's actually a picture of the negativeness is we created this thing where we'd push our two couches together. And on a Saturday after we'd hung out all week with kids, ran all these meetings, and usually Friday night went from like four o'clock to midnight with teenagers and the kids were having the time of their lives and we were while we were with them until we realized we've given everything and we have nothing left. So Saturday morning when we dragged ourselves out of bed, we'd push our two couches together and make something we called bed fort. And the bed fort would involve us laying there like zombies, vegging on TV as a couple for the rest of the day. And there was part of me was like, this is what I used to do when I was a bachelor. This is so great to have someone veg with me. I don't think that's anyone's like fantasy of marriage is this is the life and of adventure we're going to create is we're going to give everything to someone else and other people's kids and then just be left with nothing left over than a friend to watch TV with for your Saturday so you can get up the next day and take this group of kids to church and have them over again to wreck your house and serve and eat all your food. So that's 
where I began. Sorry to bring back a traumatic memory to you, Jacqueline. But um, so I think it's helpful to paint that picture for people. I don't know if you want to comment before I kind of talk about where that journey's evolved. But I mean, there is part of me that's like that bed for it was awesome. Um, but I, it's, it is honestly like I, I'm over it. I've had my own healing. Um, we've had so many conversations, but at the same time, bringing it up feel does feel a little bit emotional because it does feel like um, there were there were no boundaries in our marriage when it came to ministry, and um, and at the same time, it was challenging because that was um, we were struggling to be financially supported in it, and so you had to really dig in in certain ways, but. Um, you know, I think that painted such a great picture of where we were. And this podcast is all about going from surviving to thriving. And to me, that really is a picture of surviving. And, um, and even just hearing you say like, we were really give pouring ourselves out so much, but then also not even really knowing how to be filled up. I think that's part of that picture as well. It's just that idea of, all we could do was lay there like zombies. And that really wasn't us living a thriving life. And so I think one of the things as well is we've learned to um, rest well. We're going to talk about that later on. Um, and have, maybe we could talk about that today. But just in having that balance is really figuring out how to how to pause, how to stop, how to really be filled up so that we can work hard and be productive um, yet also have these, have something left over to pour into each other, our home, um, our friends and family around us, our kids, etc. So, um, tell me a bit of the journey of going from that, um, couch fort to, um, where you are now. I think the correct term was bed fort, but it was, it was, it was a combination. It was a couch made into a bed, but, um, yeah, I think the journey, sometimes it's hard to to see where all the twists and turns were. But I know one in particular was my work does offer something called a sabbatical. And so after seven years of full time, you get the opportunity to take a three to four month paid, I wouldn't even say a leave, a paid rest and renewal. And so that concept, despite my workaholism and my desire just to be everywhere doing everything and being the person, I did realize that a, I, I do want to see a lot of kids impacted by this important work that we do. And that's never going to be possible through one person. Like I need to learn how to work and function differently and that I need to also take care of, you know, myself. One of the books that Jacqueline and I have loved is a book called Essentialism as a great chapter all about sleep, but its title is Protect the Asset. And I just think that is a really great way to think of ourselves is, is actually our greatest asset in our life is the body, mind, heart, and soul that we've been gifted by our creator and to steward that. And so anyways, I leaned into the sabbatical concept and it was 2012. So it was basically about halfway ago from the start of my career to where I am now. And that was a, an exercise in delegation. It was an exercise in letting go. I unplugged from the work for all three and a half months. We ended up doing, uh, we ended up doing an extended trip, and and it was almost like rediscovering my soul. And it it took. I kept waiting that like maybe three weeks in, I would just my soul would be popping with all these ideas of like you're gonna go back and do this. And I, the constant answer from my soul was we're still tired. Like it just didn't want to generate 
creativity and new ideas because I'd put it through the ringer for, I pushed so hard for so long. And I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think there is anything that was, that I would have ever thought around the term burnout, but I wonder without that catalyst, how far away I was, uh, or just how far away I was from optimal flourishing living. So I do think that was a big catalyst. That was a, a beginning of starting to institute new spiritual disciplines, like being in scripture daily, like looking to practice solitude. There was seasons that began uh, that I was able to have some influence as uh, one of the decision makers in my geography for our work, where we started doing a prayer retreat that was just solely for the sake of prayer for our full-time ministers and part-time ministers that work together. And we would go away for two, three days at a time. We'd practice a solitude time of six to eight hours, just being by yourself doing soul replenishing activities. And so those were some of the things that I know started to intersect this soul level hunger, this, Hey, this isn't working. Um, and I would say actually Jacqueline has been a great, uh, catalyst between Jacqueline, the Holy spirit and my soul have been the three places that have just said, it's not working. Like you, you need to do things differently. Please pull over and park the car and reevaluate your pace, your path, your style. Um, and so there's probably a lot I actually, I could say, but those are some of the, the markers I would look to. And I think I, I can actually credit my organization. Like many ministries has had its share of workaholics, but I did have more senior people start to notice it in me, flag it in me and say, don't make all my mistakes, man. Like get home earlier in the evening, block some nights, work less, you know, find another solution. And I'm thankful for those voices that, that did partner together with Jacqueline's and my uh, inner longing as well as God's convicting words to the spirit. So good. Um, I think probably also that, um, that wisdom from the top down gave you probably a little bit of permission that you needed as well. I think that's one of the challenges for any of us to be able to stop and rest. And if you are an entrepreneur, no one is coming along to give you that permission. And so really you have to be able to have that wisdom and understand how much of this life is a marathon, not a sprint. And um, what does it look like to stop and, and step back and say, what are the things that are actually really important to me? And, um, you know, I often have this moment where I think when I'm 80, am I going to think that, hey, the things I thought were important when I was 40 were wrong. Like those actually were not the important things. And so I have to almost imagine myself being in the future and saying, are you prioritizing the right things right now? And one of the things that, again, I really appreciate about the season we're in right now is is actually putting our heads down and working hard. This is not a season where we're um, lazing around, but it, it's actually learning how to be more productive, more effective, more efficient, but also learning how to pause, how to take breaks. And again, like I say, this has been a process. So Brennan shared from 2012, uh, but I think there was something really key that happened as well for you. I believe it was 2000, either 17 or 18 when you were on a prayer retreat. Can you tell, talk to me a little bit about that? Yes, that was the exact uh, story I was dwelling on as well about what I would want to maybe share next. So yeah, I had a pretty profound experience and we've been using the same property. And so some of the 
breakthroughs, convictions, heart heart-wrenching moments do blend together so I won't be able to get the exact year and there's even a couple I would pair together that were pretty profound as a one-two punch and they may have came in separate years but either way I'll like to highlight both elements because I think there's some significance for me personally and maybe for those listening the first was I was going for a jog on this solitude window and we basically have this eight-hour blank check between you and Jesus to just go follow the spirit's lead like let your feet guide you let the spirit nug your heart, nudge, I don't either would work, pull your heart towards where you want to spend your time, go for a jog. Um, there's a chapel you can sit in, there's ocean you could kayak in, you can read your Bible, you can journal like crazy. Uh, this one property we go to has a a prayer garden with steps up with you know, scripture verses. So anyways, it's a really rich full day and it's something I look forward to in my year and it's actually coming up soon and I'm, I'm getting excited. But in my process, I felt led to go for a jog and I went for a jog and I jogged along and I've been to this property a few times and I realized and it's very remote and kind of rural, but on an island and it's got this winding dirt path. And then as I came around the corner of this jog I've done before, I realized, oh my gosh, they built a real road. And construction crews have been here probably over the last 12 months since I was last year. And I looked and I saw this very level flat road that connected it to this residential um, paved concrete. So it was really these two worlds colliding. And as I, I came to it, I just felt in my spirit, God kind of whispering this object lesson of what I was looking at to see this paved road. And on the side next to where the road had been paved was two things, a huge pile of rocks. And then for whatever reason, the construction crews or whoever had been using vehicles to build this and they had gone through multiple tires. If you've ever seen that on the highway, like the shredded tire of a semi-truck, just kind of there and you have to dodge it. It was like that, except it looked like they'd gone through three or four tires, this, this, this shredded casualty of the project. And what I felt in my heart was the sense of God saying to me, you've been working so hard at such a pace and that pile of shrapnel is what you've been creating in your life with your family and those you lead. You have been churning through people and most people probably haven't had the joy. I don't know what the demographic of this listener group is of remembering that eighties classic days of thunder with Tom Cruise and, um, Oh, I can't remember. Robert Duvall. There we go. And in it, there's this sense of Robert Duvall is the, the coach, the track, like it's a NASCAR type movie about racing cars. And he's saying to Tom Cruise, you're an amazing racer with so much talent, but you are not the wisest racer because the way you're racing is chewing through tires and it's expensive and it slows you down and it's a wasteful way to race and it's not the best way to race. And so he says, I want you to race two different ways, your way versus my way. We're going to compare the clock and we're going to compare the tires afterwards. And he has these two set tires side by side and one is absolutely destroyed. That's Tom Cruise's way as the young racer. And the other is Robert Duvall's and the tire is still healthy and intact. He said, and you want to know the best part? My way was seven seconds faster. And I felt like that's essentially what God was saying to me is your way isn't working. It's about speed. It's about intensity. And you are creating casualties out of those you love based on the way you lead. I can't imagine getting a stronger gut punch in terms of this realization. And what I felt in this clear way was God saying, I have an invitation and a commissioning for you to move from being a sprinter, to stop 
sprinting. You have been sprinting in your work, in your life for so many years. And now is the time to change the pace, to run at my pace, to do it my way so that we don't make casualties out of the people you love and lead, that you're actually going to become a marathon runner. And even one of the pictures he gave about me being a marathon runner said, your marathon pace to some will look like sprinting, but to those closest to you, to me and to you, you will know this is a very different pace. This is a marathon pace. This is playing the long game in it for the long haul, the healthy way. So that for me was incredibly convicting. That didn't create this overnight change. I didn't figure it all out immediately, but I accepted his knowing best for me as this good father and realizing I need to come under his authority as the one who knows me, who's been gracious to me in ministry, has been gracious to me with a wife, gracious in giving me children, that now is the time. So that was pretty deep and profound. The other one I'll share is either on the same one or the following year, we were about to go into the solitude. We were there. We get there for two nights. The first night I go to bed. I'm not someone that often has what I would call God dreams when I sleep. Most often my dreams are kind of just sort of nonsense or a little bit of my stressors in life or just whatever, silly adventures, often not being able to finally play for the Vancouver Canucks in the game that they've called me up to play as a hockey fan who's never been good enough for the NHL and then I can't find my skates or glove. But my um, my dream this night was clearly something else and the context was an indicator and I woke up at about quarter to four in the morning just startled out of a dead sleep by a dream I'd just awoken from and the dream was pretty intense. I was in a public pool and I was there and I was holding my daughter, uh, our youngest at the time who would have been under a year old. And I was also holding the child of one of my friends from work, one of the same people who would have been on this retreat. And I had both kids in my arm and I was in the middle of the pool and there was adults around, but they're far enough away. And they trusted me that I could handle both kids in the pool at this time. And while I'm in the middle of the pool and everything's calm and I'm a competent adult and all is well, out of nowhere, this pool was now a wave pool and someone had turned on the giant wave and the giant wave was coming towards me and I could not, because of the water level rising and my feet off the ground, could not keep both kids heads above water while I tried to race to safety to the side of the pool. As the waves came, I had to make choices. I could only keep one kid's head above water at a time. And as the first large wave crashed over me, the first head underwater I let go down was my own daughter, Noelle's. And so then I pulled her back up as the wave subsided and I was still not to safety and she caught a breath. And then the next wave came and I had to lower my friend's kid under the water. And then back up again as they both caught a breath. And then the third wave came and I had to make a choice again. And I let Noelle's head go under the water. And when I did, she dropped out of my arm and sunk to the bottom. And I watched her land on the bottom of the pool floor. And then I awoke. If you're a parent or even if not, I can't imagine a more horrific thing to awake from, to have experienced emotionally and believed in your heart of hearts that was real and happened. And I could so instantly feel both just disgusted to my gut as well as realizing that this was a dream with a meaning. And so as I woke up from it and I went to the washroom and I washed my face and tried to just reset, I just realized, Jesus, this is from you and I need to ask you a favor. I think I'm going to spend all day tomorrow unpacking the meaning of this, but I need to ask you a favor, Jesus, before I go back to bed. I know you're going to teach me the object lesson. You're going to walk me through and I can, I can translate this and I'll share my translation if you didn't figure it out already. 
but can I just ask you, Jesus, first, can I go back into the dream and get my daughter off the bottom of the pool floor? Because I'm never going to sleep while she's still there. And he said yes, and I closed my eyes, and I visualized swimming down and picking Noel up and getting her back up. And I would tell you the feeling was a partial relief and partial dissatisfaction, like I'd rescued her, sort of. And so as the object lesson became painfully clear was, Brendan, you prioritize other people's kids over your own kids. The kids of your ministry come first. The kids of your family, of your own flesh and blood, come second. And you are living in such a way where you're having to make choices between the two. And the choices is you're putting the others first. So I think between these two experiences and realizing that not only what my wife has been giving me feedback, but God himself is saying to me is, Brendan, change course, change stride. It became painfully aware that I needed to be able to reimagine, re repermission the way I worked and the way I thought about work and the way I thought about leading others. And it was a, it was a gut wrenching way to learn about it. I was not expecting that. And so I've just been sitting here, um, crying and maybe you are as well, because those are such powerful, powerful pictures. Um, and I wouldn't have written it on here if, if it hadn't all changed. And I think that's actually part of the power of really spending time with God. And I know for some people, they may have been listening to Brennan talk about these eight hour retreats. And isn't this beautiful? And that's, it's not the reality for so many of us. But what I would say, similar to the conversation we had last week, where we talk about the value of putting time aside to have those conversations we need to have. There is so much value in putting time aside to connect with God on our own. And so this is something that Brennan has highly encouraged me to do. In fact, when he came home from that one retreat where he saw um, the tire, one of the big changes was that um, he encouraged me to spend a chunk of time each week. He said, I'm going to put this time aside you spend this time doing whatever you want. And I was not allowed to do errands. He did not let me go get groceries or book dentist appointments for the kids or anything like that. But this was a time for me to connect with God, to do things that would care for my soul. And so that was a direct fruit that came from that experience with him. And that actually was a big catalyst for me. Um, as I would go in that weekly time, I would go for these walks that's when God started to really work in my heart. And really out of that time is what came this book Tangled for me because it was the season of God really uprooting things that were going on in my own heart. And so my encouragement for people who are listening is, um, you know, what has God been speaking to you in these few minutes as uh, we've been listening to Brendan? Um, and what would it look like to prioritize just time connecting with him? You know, in these pictures that um, Brendan shared, they're really, um, really a wake up call kind of pictures. And I think that's hard sometimes that we, we don't want to go meet with God because we are afraid of some of those things he wants to share with us. Um, and like I always say on here, whenever there is something that comes that feels like conviction, so it kind of, we feel like that little bit of a pressing on our heart that makes us feel like, oh, there's, there's something I need to do here. It is not for God to condemn us, to shame us. Um, 
you know, as we talk about Brendan talks about these things from his past, we can feel like we can get stuck in this place of regret. Um, the conviction is always for our freedom. It is always for a change. And again, similar to as we talked about last week with the hard conversations, the process is not always fun. It's not always fun to go through that process of getting to the other side. But when we partner with Jesus and whatever he is convicting us with, it's for our freedom. It's for our good. It, and I can sit here and say, yeah, though, everything he was sharing, that was the way our life used to look. We did feel like we were getting the dregs. We did feel like um, there were other people's kids that were prioritized. And I will say this uh, for anyone who feels, um, especially in a, in marriage or another relationship where you feel like I, I share these things with this person and I can't get it across to them. Can I encourage you to pray for them? And to also allow them, especially if it's a spouse, allow them the space for them to go be with God? Do they need to go for a long bike ride or a jog or a getaway where they can actually spend some time? Because that's what was happening with Brendan is he was away connecting with Jesus and Jesus was the one who was bringing that conviction. It wasn't my nagging words. Um, It was really the words of the Holy Spirit. And so I think for all of us, um, there probably is a little bit of um, conviction that comes with Brennan's powerful stories and being able to stop and say, okay, God, um, what am I prioritizing in my life? Um, are there, are the things that you are bringing up? And again, the conviction is to sit with him and be able to, um, just partner with him. He, he is the one who is able to, um, bring us that freedom. And I love that Brennan was able to share that, you know, it was a process and, uh, we're actually going to talk about more of the specifics as well when it comes to technology, um, health and other things in our lives. But um, we walk in a place of individually thriving as we have, we pursue our individual relationships with God. But we also, um, we both have our our separate time where we are meeting with God and we're confessing and we are having those convictions come um, because neither of us are perfect. Neither of us are doing everything right. Um, But I have so appreciated Brennan sharing um, just about um, some of that work-life balance and some of those challenges and some of the ways that um, really God brought him through. And Brennan, you did share um, a story with me about going back to that same prayer retreat where you saw that tire again. And is there something else you could share with me about that? Well, I think the the follow-up experience was that there had been some significant changes. And even uh, before responding to that, that question you asked, um, I remember, I think sandwiched in between those two retreats was a, a staff retreat of a different kind where we'd gone away to do strategizing and goal setting. We actually... We're going to start a brand new goal setting process um, called a wildly important goal that we'd gotten very excited and started to use in teams. And we're going to use it at our level. We oversee as the teammates across this geography in the west coast of uh, BC. And so we got there and our boss was wanting to kind of create the community sense and have us check in how we're all doing before we dived into the kind of heavy lifting. Let's, you know, share personally what what's life been like for you recently. And I think it was January-ish. It was kind of, you know, in that maybe sometimes hard part of the year. And and the first person said, you know, I've been doing okay, but things have been really hard on the home front. And 
we've been having a lot of hard conversations. My spouse isn't very happy with my schedule and that's where I'm, how I'm doing. And you can pray for me about that. So we did. And then the next person went and they said, well, kind of like the last person, actually, uh, it's been really hard. It's been hard on the home front. My spouse isn't very happy with my schedule. See if you can pray for me about that. We went six for six. Our spouses are not happy with our schedule, our work-life balance. And our boss, to his, to his credit, uh, he said, A, he had related to that season but wasn't it anymore and knew how important this was. And B said, forget a goal around reaching more kids. He gave us permission to create a goal that literally was titled how to make our jobs more attractive to us, our families, and those we lead. Because no one's going to let us stay employed in this business organization and no one is ever going to take our jobs from us because the volunteers in organization will be like, yeah, this is a great mission, but I would never want the lifestyle you have because it is unattractive, let alone ourselves when we're laying in bed forts on a Saturday, you know, not wanting to see the world again, realizing I don't even like this job. I like what we accomplish, but I don't like what it does to me. And so our process was to create some measurable things around delegation and scheduling. And so we had a few things that we realized we all are very bad at delegating, but then we created this like fun calendar point system, which was giving us credits. So we got a positive credit. Every time you took your spouse on a date, you got a positive credit every time you took a day off a week. And for some people, they would not get points for that the way they were working. Uh, you got positive credits if you had exercise for over 20 minutes. You got positive um, credits if you actually sent a note of encouragement or gratitude to someone else's spouse to thank them for what they'd been giving away in labeling their spouse to do this job. And then you got demerits if you um, were out three nights in a row, if you were gone two weekends in a row, if you didn't take a day off, if you didn't have a date night. And I guess for some people, they just think, oh, that's demerits and credits isn't the way, but I would say what was so healthy for us and people were almost shocked. And we had people that weren't even in that meeting who were like, that's the kind of things you guys work on when you're together. I can't wait to join that team. And I think for me, it began a process of really looking at my calendar with Jacqueline differently, where I could even imagine giving her two hours on a Wednesday morning that I would not be available to work so that she could not run errands, but have a quiet time or uh, coffee shop time to think about goals or plan things that are coming up that are important to her. And so it was after that process that I got to go back to that same spot and see that same road and see it's uh, developed in the same way. And I had this sense that Jesus was just saying to me, and I don't know if this is what Jacqueline is remembering I shared and she might have to jog me more, but this idea of you've now started to become a marathon runner and I've got a lot more laps for you to go at this pace. And even this picture he's given me in recent times, even in COVID nature walks, I just remember this picture as I turned 41 and maybe I'm just playing psychologically off of the classic 65, but even the sense of him saying 24 laps to go, you know, if I think of that NASCAR or long distance jogger, but having the feeling of like, Oh, I'm going to enjoy these laps. And I'm going to enjoy them with my family. I'm going to have time to walk my girls to and from school and not be letting someone down or not having a teenager whose faith's falling away or a donor who's not going to give us money or whatever else. That I actually just trust that there are ways to do things differently. There's a way to work smarter rather than harder when you already know how to work hard. And there is a less but better 
and even a, a gift to me has been a, a book that uh, summarized lots of these things I've read and learned. A guy named Rory Vaden, who spoke at something called the Global Leadership Summit this August, virtually, and he has a book called uh, Multiplying Your Time, and it talks about the five permissions. And really, he just had this sense of, to me, and this is my own internalizing, what he said is not every hour you spend in a work week or even in a personal week has the same value. It's not about allowing all your work responsibilities to fill all the available space, which maybe is 60 or 70 hours you're blocking. There's only a few things that are most important. And that, if you, that, you know, uh, many things are possible, but few are important is sort of the paraphrase of the Mary Martha moment. And to realize that in our work, in our life, there's a few things that are most important. And it's been a long journey for me to have the confidence to, say my inbox is not my boss, my possible manufacturing visual of what I think some random adult in my community's expectations are for me is not my boss. My boss is Jesus. And what I'm actually responsible for is doing a few things well. And I cannot delegate out my marriage or raising my kids, but I could delegate out all these spreadsheets I have to make for my job, or I could delegate out or give away the blessing and opportunity for someone else to get to disciple a kid that, yeah, I'd love to disciple them. I'd love to be the one that walks with them, but why don't I let someone else get in the race rather than extending myself and running round the clock and running myself ragged. So I think that's maybe part of what, I don't know if that connects with what you were looking for. You remember me sharing about that second time back, but that's what stood out to me. Yeah. Thank you. I think for me, it was that really was the days of thunder quote in that you actually were now, in fact, um, just doing what the coach had. You were doing it the coach's way and you were more productive rather than doing it your way and shredding tires. Um, Brennan, thank you for sharing all about work-life balance. Um, again, we are both in this process. There actually have been times for myself as I have started podcasting, writing, and speaking, where Brendan, at one point he said to me, he's like, oh, you're the new Brendan, um, where I have had to learn, ooh, how do I um, balance these things? In some ways, some of the things I do feel like being an entrepreneur and having my own small business and things like that. And so I am learning from him as well and learning from um, some of the th ways that he used to work around the clock and how do I also give myself permission to stop and to be and to use my time wisely. Um, Brennan, is there anything else you'd share, um, whether about working smarter, not harder, any other tips or books or things that you could pass on before we end this episode? Yeah, I think I would just come back to that concept of permission. I, I have, I'm a reader and I know maybe people out there are as well or like audiobooks or however you digest material, but I could highly recommend a few books that would just give you the idea that could be a different way to accomplish some of the things that you value and want right now. And that we do have a default where we like many things in our world. Our world has an operating system that is a business as usual that we just fall into. And sometimes the business as usual is whoever sends me a message in this world, I'm in, I'm responsible to send them a response at any moment that they message me. So it's Saturday and yeah, I was getting excited about the idea of Sabbath or something like it, but i just feel like, well, what is going to happen to that volunteer? What are they going to think of me? What is, you know, and whatever your translated scenario is, but 
What about the opposite? What if you have stories of your weekend and your evenings, either as a single person or married with no kids or with kids, and people see you as an example that you you enjoy your free time. You have a rich weekend and you're not available around the clock. And so um, one great book I highly recommend is one called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. That has been a gift to me. And that's actually, especially in this COVID season, allowed me to experiment with some fun, beautiful practices like Sabbath, which I maybe like a lot of Christians felt like was mostly an Old Testament concept. And then I just realized, no, this sounds like a great opportunity to rest my soul and hang with my family and get away from work and shopping. And so with it, I've done things like I turn my phone off on a Friday night and I don't turn it back on till after church on Sunday morning. And so things like that, that have given me permission to try new ways of operating. Um, and he's uh, writing from a pastoral perspective that another great book that is a very different, uh, mindset but has some of these same great wisdom was a book called written a long time ago called the four hour work week um who's uh timothy ferris uh is the author and he just talks about the idea of why would it look like to start with your priorities rather than your inboxes or your phone's priorities for your its notifications you probably have one or two things that actually are the indicator of whether you won the day or not what if you did those before you picked up your phone or you went in your inbox? And so even I know that we didn't get a chance to talk technology much, but probably your tech systems are embedded in your work systems and allowing yourself to recreate, reimagine and reestablish boundaries for them and new patterns that may yeah, ruffle a feather of a person or two in your life. They might actually be the practical strategy for getting free. And so for me, one of the things that was hard to fathom is I just don't work weekends anymore. There is the odd time I have a retreat, less so in COVID. There's the odd time I have a Sunday afternoon or Sunday evening meeting, but I just don't responsibly message, email, do anything from when I power down my technology at dinner on Friday to when I pick back up on Monday morning. And the amount of life-giving energy that gives me to tackle my work, but also to be fully present, fully available, and be my best version of myself, which is a joy to finally offer my wife and kids, is what makes it all worth it. Awesome. Thank you, Brennan. And I can attest um, that this is what you do. And I am still, I'm still learning. I'm not there, guys. Um, but seeing Brennan's example and seeing how he has been so transformed um, is an inspiration to me and I trust it will be an inspiration to you and help you move one step closer to thriving. Thanks so much for listening today. I really am so encouraged knowing how many of you are being encouraged by this message. And if you have found it helpful, would you mind just sharing it with a friend, leaving five stars or even a review wherever you listen to po podcasts, podcasts, keeping it super professional. Um, if you want to connect more with me, head over to Instagram where I'm at Jacqueline.Widener, or if you want some free resources, head over to my website at JacquelineWidener.com.